Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sue Costello. Hi, everybody. It's me, Sue Costello, coming to you from the Boogie Down Bronx, me and Walker Freeland. Hi, everybody. Here we are, alone but together, again, on the I Am Sue Costello podcast. We're doing another episode of the Art and Commerce because I was just thinking we gotta we gotta keep talking about that because I'm from Dorchester, Dorchester, Massachusetts. Yes, I grew up with Marky Mac. Grew up, his mother used to take care of my grandmother in the nursing home, Alma. She was very kind to her. My grandmother had schizophrenia and thought she danced with Fred Astaire. And Alma brought her a picture, an autographed picture from Fred Astaire for Christmas one day. And Mark, I barred him from Savin Hill Variety. He used to steal the candy and I wouldn't let him come in anymore. He used to have a dinner at my house. People were like, you don't really grow up with him. I'm like, yeah, legit grew up with him. And his sister Tracy, sister Tracy's cool. I love her. She doesn't even, she doesn't even get involved in any of the, she's just a cool woman. Lives her life. Bobo, Bobo's the other brother. He was in Southie with me. My father, we, we played, a, we did a benefit at Fenway Park for the fallen heroes. Oh my gosh. If there are any vets out there, let me tell you, I love you. I just can't, we did a, we played uh, softball at Fenway Park with the uh, Massachusetts Fallen Heroes. So these people were all injured. I never saw anything like it in my life. They were the most amazing people. Hitting home runs, diving for balls, just happy. I feel like that. That's what a lot of the play is about too. It's about these people that go through stuff, actually have a deeper sense of what, why we're here. More gratitude. And we project onto them. I wouldn't want that to happen to me. How do you know? Maybe they wouldn't want to be you. <laughs> I remember Bobo said, my father was telling Bobo, I really want to thank you. He's been so genuine. He's like, I want to thank you. Your mother was really good to my mother. You know, my grand- my mother had some mental issues and Bobo's like, oh, that explains what's wrong with Sue. <laughs> and they always busted my balls. <laughs> always with the ball busted in Boston. So you see, that it's very hard to be an artist. But it's funny because Donnie Wahlberg, I, I, I have a... 100 pages of my book written. I have the whole uh, breakdown, the whole, what are you supposed to do? Sorry, I hit the microphone. The, um, what's it called? Proposal. And so the the book is the extension of the play. So I'm going to do the play and then you're going to want to buy the book because the book is going to go further into everything. But one of the lines in the book is that I used to see Donnie Wahlberg walk, when I worked at Savin Hill Variety, walk up and down the street with his drumsticks every single day. And I remember he used to give me hope that we could be something different, that we could, if we wanted to be an artist, we could be an artist. So he helped me a lot. So did Mark. But Donnie even more so. Uh, so anyway, so this art and commerce thing, I was thinking, you know how many people told me? First of all, I'm from Dorchester. I I went, I mean, I played a blind girl in Helen Keller in high school. And I was always in the variety shows when I was younger. I, and I, I used to put on, um, you know, it's funny, this whole idea of like figuring out who you are, like, you live in this place. And I, I always say like, sometimes it's like when you're on stage and everybody's laughing and there's one person that's not laughing. Like that's sometimes how I lived my life. I just pay attention. Why doesn't that person like me? Cause I didn't like myself. So it was like a magnet. I didn't feel like I deserved all the other stuff. I couldn't handle both those two opposing feelings at the same time, which is what I learned in therapy. That it's really hard to do to feel two opposing feelings at the same time. But I don't think love can exist unless you can have anger. Otherwise it turns into like codependent, sticky, and then you're really angry. You ever been around codependent people? Like a codependent relationship, they have so much resentment. They hate each other and they're like, I love you. And you're like, no, you don't. Sometimes a fight is good. You got to have a little fight. 
You got to misunderstand each other. You got to say you're sorry. You got to just like get some space, some air in there. Like get air it out. There's a guy, oh my gosh, I love him. Anytime I get my panties in a twist or I get a little nervous or anything, a little neurotic, he's always like, so breathe that air. Breathe that air, so And I, it makes me laugh every time he says it to me because it makes me not take myself so seriously. If I get like carried away, he's like, breathe that air, so He's so awesome. I love it. Breathe that air. I want to say that to everybody. Breathe. Take a breath. Think about that, though. Take a breath. Calm down. Sit by yourself for a second. Everything's going to be okay. And everything is going to be okay if, if I don't screw it up. I always say that. I said that to my mother one day. I'm like, this is how I live my life, mom. If I can't make things better, I'm trying not to make it worse. Because <laughs> believe me, I could screw up a free lunch in my past. I really could. I'd be like, I can't handle that. I'm going to mess it up. But I heard this guy say it one time. I, was, I had so much respect for him. He goes, I am an asshole. He goes, I'm a total asshole. He goes, you know why I'm an asshole? Because I know what I'm going to get. And I thought it was the most honest thing. He knew that if he was a jerk to people, people would be mean to him, and at least he could handle that. So it's this whole, like, aversion to love, this whole aversion to mess. Because everybody's trying to tell you, like, this. so this commerce thing, like, everybody's trying to tell you, hey, all I want to do, all I want my art to be is messy. I mean, it's funny because you need to have, like, the clean, it's almost like stand-up. Like, with stand-up, you have to have your act. You have to have something that you can go back to so that you can go into the crowd, so that you can be fearless, so that you can, so you know you can come back in case the crowd is bad or something. So you have to have this skeletal structure of, of coming back home, which goes back to what I had said earlier in the other episode about meditating. You go back to the center. You keep bringing yourself back to center. Keep bringing yourself back. We have to have some structure. But in order for the freedom to, in which I guess is what you asked me about boundaries before too, right? Is that what you, you meant about how do we express ourselves? The boundaries help us express ourselves. Yes, because I used to be tough on the outside and mushy on the inside. And now I'm tough on the inside and mushy on the outside because I'm not as afraid to put myself out there because I know I'll handle it. I think my friends are like, Sue, what do you mean? I'm like, if, even if I screwed everything up in my whole life, I'm not as scared anymore because I'm like, I would just address it. I just keep talking. I would be like, okay, what did I do wrong? What did you do wrong? And that, so then that speaks to the commerce thing. So, okay. So it used to be like half and half. It used to be like the artists were half of it. And then, the, I mean, I, they've always taken advantage of artists, but it wasn't as bad as it is now. But so that idea of like, and I remember when I started doing my play, they were like, uh, my therapist was like, Sue, you have to like just put it up there. And I, I was like, oh my God, how am I going to put it up when it's not perfect? How am I going to have the, the, the mental ability to like have people tell me stuff and not be swayed? And like, I just had to do it. And that's what the play is about. Instead of analyzing everything before you do it, you have to do it and then kind of readjust after the fact. And that's what I'm, that's what I feel like, forget art and commerce, because I feel like you could do it in your office. I feel like you could do it right now. If you're lying on your bed, you could get up out of your bed and you could go put yourself out there. Is there a girl you want to ask out? Call her. Is there a guy you want to ask out? Call him. Do something. And because you'll break the isolation, you'll break the, the thing in your, in, and even if it's bad, at least you did it. At least you're living. At least you're doing something. I remember <laughs> I sent a text and it's not easy to see, but it's the only way out. So I remember I sent a text to this girl, to this guy. I sent like a sexy text in my, in my, I thought it was sexy. And then I sent it and I was so filled with shame. I grew up Irish Catholic, right? So I I sent it and I text my other friend and I'm like, oh my God, I sent her a text. Like, oh my God, it was so, I sent him this disgusting text. So she reads the text and is like, oh no, we got to back her out of this. I don't know why. So she sits up, she's going to call me to help me figure out the situation, right? So she calls me thinking the worst of the worst, the way I send her the text. 
And she's, and she goes, Sue, what, all right, what did the text say? And so I tell her what the text says and she's completely silent. And I remember the shame and my body was like hot from shame. I was like, she thinks I'm disgusting. And all of a sudden she goes, Sue, I go, what? She goes, it's like you showed him your ankle. And I was like, what? She's like, that's like you showed him your ankle. And I'm like, oh, something's terribly awry. If I thought that was disgustingly sexual and she thinks it's my ankle, I'm like, and the, it's a huge disconnect, a huge disconnect yes. there between yeah. how, you're how you're perceiving reality or, perceiving. Or, or, no, or, or no, how you're perceiving yourself. Well, how I'm perceiving the, what it's going to take for me to express myself. That I thought that little, and, and if you really want to get into it, if I could look at it now, it's like, I just wanted to do a tiny bit and be, and let them do all the work. Cause that's really what was going on. But at the time I didn't know that, but that is what was going on. It was like, I didn't really want to put myself out there. I put a little bit out there and then everybody else can do the work. And I've seen people do it all the time. And I used to be on both ends of that. And I think people flip-flop between both ends of that. Either you do all the work or you want to be the person that, and that's what that idea of going back to the middle, going back to the middle, not all or nothing, not too much, not too little. How do we go back to the middle? How do we have this conversation? How do we put ourselves out there? So I do the play and sure enough, yeah, people would tell me all the time. But then I was like, all right, how do I do this? Because part of it is true. They don't understand some of the things they don't understand what I'm saying. So I, so I need them as a mirror so that I can figure out what I'm trying to do. So again, like back to the Hillary thing, like you can't just say, I want to be president and you're going to vote for me and I'm not going to smile. You have to do a little bit and, and just make it messy and figure it out. And so I remember I, I made up this thing where I was like, okay, if 10 people tell me the same thing, then I'll do it. And that helped me so much. And then I made up this other thing where I was like, after the play, I don't talk about work. If you want to talk to me about work, we'll talk at it when I'm sitting behind a desk or I come into your office or we're doing it on a different day. So I started to learn all these little boundaries about, and then people would start to make sense. Like what happened to that so-and-so in the play? And I'm like, that makes logical sense. So I stopped being so rigid so that I could let in and then also knew like sometimes people would tell, and sometimes I would try stuff and it didn't work and I'd go, I knew that wasn't going to work. There's like no... It's like this fluid, fluidity of, of what being an artist really means. So then, okay, so I'm from Dorchester. I didn't know I was an artist, but yes. Did I do all the minstrel shows? Yes. I sang, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. Like nobody's business. I took off my glasses. They were whistling. And I was like one of the most magical moments because I looked like a boy when I was little. And I was like, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair and send him on his way. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking that should be the theme for all these guys. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Everything comes back around again. Look at that. For all the sexual assaulters, I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair. <laughs> so, uh, and then I remembered, so I've always been me, but I, I left myself for a little while because that, we, we did, I did a, um, for Pine Street Inn for St. Patrick's Day. I put on a minstrel stroke. Pine Street Inn is a male homeless shelter. And I went there and we, we gave them corned beef and cabbage and I put on a whole minstrel show for them. That's who I was as a kid. I had no reason to do it. I was like in the eighth grade or the seventh grade and I put it all together and I directed the whole thing. And I used to put on the shows and like at Christmas, I'd get all the kids and then we would put on a show. And I remember I played Jam Brady and my grandmother laughed so hard her dentures fell out of her mouth. Like I was funny even as a kid. My father used to be like, do that. I would do impersonations of people and he'd be like, do that again. So I was an artist in a way, but, but the, the culture wasn't conducive. Like nobody was like, oh, let's, they didn't know how, even my father will still stay now. He's like, I, 
I don't know what to do. I'm a carpenter. <laughs> and I am the only one in my family that does what I do. So they didn't know what to do with me. But even in high school, so I played the blind girl in, uh, in high school in the Helen Keller. And, but I remember in high school, I wore a uniform and I used to flip my, my shirt in. I'd push my socks down. I didn't like the uniform. I didn't like any of it. I wanted to express myself. I had white Ray-Ban sunglasses that, uh, glasses that turned into sunglasses. I've always been like, had this little bit of like rock star side to me, even though it was just this feeling inside that I needed to express myself. And then I went to, uh, you, I went to Salem state and, uh, I passed in my, this is all in the play too. I passed in my first, I went to be an English major and I passed in my first paper and my teacher asked me if I ever thought about being a chef. Mm-hmm. So I quit that. And then I went to UMass Boston and I was right in a playwriting class and uh, I had my feet out in front of the, um, you know, under my desk. I was in the front row and the teacher said he didn't want any more plays about girls who have issues with their fathers. And I said, why does it hit a little too close to home for you? And he kicked me. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about, remember how I talk about how I would caretake the abuser, how I would help, how I would take care of men's bad behavior? He pulled me in the office and he begged me not to tell anybody and I never did. And I didn't find out till years later how inappropriate it was that he should never have kicked me. And that, I remember somebody even saying to me, like, they're like, you're in college, that's when you're supposed to be like provocative or say, you know, provoc thinking about different things and not, yeah. So anybody out there that's had people tell them, you can't do that, that's all they've ever told me. I say that to the kids all the time. I'm like, let them tell you. Robert Downey Jr. has a good saying about that. He's like, yes, I'm to death and then do whatever the fuck you want to do anyways. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Because if it, that's what I, the idea of content, like, I mean, intent, why are you doing things? Why are you doing, as long as you have a good intent. And that doesn't mean like, oh, I, I, I intended. The intentions have to match, match up with your actions. If you're doing something nice with a bad intent, it's not going to work out. And that's it. I was saying to somebody the other day, this energy thing too, it all comes back on you. You can try to sneak, snake, do whatever you want. The energy comes back on you. So this, okay, so now we're back to the art and the commerce. So how do you do it? That's how, that's how you do it. You you negotiate, you figure out, you think, but you, I remember I was out with Miguel Forbes. He's like from the Forbes family. That's when I started really learning. When I started talking to people outside of Hollywood that was teaching me real business. These guys, these guys have helped me so much. That's why I can't throw them all under the bus because if they didn't teach me, then I wouldn't know how to do business like the guys and that's what I'm doing now. I'm doing business like the guys and that's where I'm getting the respect from and why do you look like you just want to burst out saying something? No, because I'm, no, just, because I'm just so curious to hear what they taught I'm gonna, you. I'm going to tell you. So, so okay. Miguel Forbes, we were out to dinner. He's like, Sue, this is what you do. I go, what? He goes, you say, when they tell you what they want, you go, I understand what you want. Now here's what I want. And I, and I think as a woman, you're not socialized to do that. I mean, other women might be like, oh, I was. Well, I wasn't. And as, as ballsy and as tough as I always appeared to be, I didn't know I, and then, then I don't need to be as ballsy and as tough anymore if I know how to say this is what I want. You see, the boundaries make me softer in a, in a, in a weird, weird way. And so then I was in the Salt of France with the guy who did, who he invented, he started Wagner, the ski, the ski, it's like a very wealthy ski line. And uh, he was like, he went out with Sherry Stringfeld he, from ER back when ER was on. And he was like, uh, Sue, what the fuck? What? What? He's like, what is this with Hollywood? He's like, you go out there and he's like, I'm sitting in this office and I'm like, who are you? <laughs> he's like, what do you get? He's like, I get, I get 5%. He's like, 5% of what? He goes, all of her income. He's like, why? And he's like, because we, sometimes if she wants to buy a car, he's like, I'll help her buy a car. He's like, is there anybody in this town who'll just pay her taxes for her? Like, and, and so then I was like, oh, he gets it. 
he gets it what they're doing. And I remember thinking like, this is weird. Like, why do they get 10% of my entire income? And what happened with me is they got 10% of everything I was doing or 15% of what I was doing. And as soon as my show got canceled, they all disappeared. And the agreement is they get five or 10% because they're going to, when times are tough, they're going to represent you. They all left me. They made, so I said to my friend, I paid one manager $30,000 in two weeks and he, and he, he, I hired him and my show got canceled and he left me in $30,000. And it was all okay. And so now this time around, now I had an uh, intellectual property attorney as opposed to an entertainment attorney. And I told her, I said, well, I never wanted to do business with them because they have business, they have relationships with the business affairs people and all the networks and the studios and they, they're staying in bed with them forever. I'm just a, you know, cog in the wheel. Like they're not going to push for me because they're going to, it's their best interest. And she's like, you're right, Sue, that's a conflict of interest. I'm like, I knew it. I'm just from Dorchester. And they told me that I should have been a chef, but I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And so now what I'm witnessing is like, oh my gosh. And this guy was telling me, I mean, most of the uh, agencies, the talent agencies are owned by private equity firms now. Not only conflict of interest, you want to talk about pushing out the humanity, like, and then you become like a, literally like a cashier. Get on the assembly line, make enough money or get out. Yeah, so there's no, yeah, so there's no room for art. Humanity. Humanity. Humanity, humanity. art. There's Which, no room right. for anything. And it's like, but I understand why people are like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. This is what everybody keeps doing. This is the way it goes. This is the way they do it. And I'm like, well, let's see if I don't do it the way they do it. Let's see if maybe I don't do that. What's going to happen? I don't know. Maybe they'll be happy because they, it's almost like they back themselves in a corner too. That's what I say about the men. Like they back themselves in a corner. So now they're in such a corner of this greed that, and these guys are all acting out like crazy. It's like they, course they, they cornered themselves with their own power. And now they're taking themselves down. Like I said, with your instincts, you can either do good with it or you can do bad with it. Energy has to go somewhere. It's all coming back. Hollywood is like in rough shape right now. So it's not like I'm doing a moral issue. It's not like I'm just saying the, the, and you, you want to like follow the money, like checks and balances. Like there has to be a certain checks and balances for people to survive. There has to be a balance of feminine and male energy inside of anybody in any, uh, couple, in any two people together. You can't just have two destructive people. We would not exist anymore. If you didn't have women who had babies, we would not exist anymore. If you didn't have the feminine energy, we would not exist anymore. Guys would just kill each other off and we would be gone. So it's almost like it's all become so perverted that no art can survive. But that's why everybody's saying that in this kind of time is when art can really be part of social change. And it's like, and all I'm talking about is going back to humanity. That's all I'm saying. I'm like, let's just be a little more human and care about each other a little bit more. And it makes sense to me because that's what Warren Buffett does. Warren Buffett, when everything's down, he goes up. And that's what I feel like. So for the past 20 years, like I, the guy I was out with last week, he's like, Sue, what? How did you get to meet with that person? How did you go to dinner with that person? How did you do that? I'm like, because for 20 years, I've literally been figuring out all this stuff. And I'm telling you, when everybody was that high on the hog, I was hurting so badly. And I was like, why? Why am I hurting so badly? This is weird. And nobody, I couldn't even get comfort. I lost everything and I could not even get comfort because I was everybody's biggest fear. So they would run from me. So I literally had to go in and pray and like hope that there was something bigger and just keep moving forward. And the guy said to me last night, I lived with an old lady and my friend Dino also said it to me, he goes, Sue, do you have any idea the respect that men are going to have for you? And I was like, why? And he's like, because you didn't just marry somebody. You didn't just marry somebody to get money. You did what you had to do. You lived with an old lady in a twin bed so that you could get, and I, and I never even knew that was, and I'm, and it made sense because Mark Marin asked me on the uh, WTF podcast. He said, didn't you think you had any options? And I remember at the time being like, I, d- 
I didn't have any options. It wasn't an option for me. I wasn't going to go move home or suck off the grid or suck off my parents or anything. I was like, let me, I'll, I obviously got myself in this mess. I'm the one that dated that guy that moved out on me and built his club on my back for eight years. Even the guy said that to me last week. He goes, I don't know that guy was such a, you know what? And he goes, well, it's your fault anyways for staying with him for eight years. And I kind of, I was like, yeah, he's right. <laughs> See what I mean though? Sometimes you have to kind of take it on the chin. And I was like, yeah, he's kind of right. I, I could have been so bent out of shape and been like, no, I was like, yeah, he's got a point. <laughs> so sometimes you just have to like the peacock has to swallow the thorns to get the feathers and like that. And so, but what, what all that did for me was make me really realize how much like I am an artist. And I don't care. Like I had such a visceral reaction to like, you're going to want a boat. You're going to want a plane. I had a house in LA. I, I was like, I'm afraid of bugs. I grew up in Dorchester. I grew up in like one, an apartment where I lived in the attic with my sisters. And like, we had one bathroom with six people. Like I'm good. I was like, you know, when they, even you give a homeless person an apartment, they live in the corner because they have to get used to it. They're not used to it. And it's like, that's how I was. I was like, I had to sl- I was like, I can't even leave the front room. I, I don't, I don't need it. All I need is a studio. And that's what I was going to say about the structure, the clean, well-lit place. Like, so Dakuni, Dakuni was everything that he did was so, he painted it beautifully. He's like, everything was white and he created. And I remember, um, and clean, well-lighted, lighted place too. I forget who said that, but that's a, that's a, one of the writers or one of the painters. Like, all he needed was a clean, well-lighted place. Think about that though. Everything we do, shopping, all that consumption is like almost part of our artistry getting not leaky. I always said like shopping for women was some kind of like leaky sexuality, like we're oozing our sexuality through that and our creativity is all going on the outside. Because I remember I saw uh, Ed Hopper too. So I started learning through all these artists. I was like, oh, that's what I feel like. That's who I am. They, it said that Ed Hopper didn't need a lot on the outside because he had so much going on on the inside. And I remember thinking, I that's what I want. I want to have so much going on on the inside. I want to be able to create and have the magic and the beauty going on inside of me instead of stuff. I used to get up and I would look in my closet and I'd be like, if I died right now, all that stuff would still be hanging there. I would have these vision. I would literally be like, I know somebody came and found me dead. All that stuff would just still be hanging there. And I thought that, that like, what would happen if we all stopped sh- shopping for five minutes? What would happen if everybody in this country for five minutes didn't buy one thing? I read a book. Billions of dollars lost. Billions of dollars but do you know how much probably, power right? that then, then all these suits would wake up. They'd go, what? They, they don't think they need us. You guys, they think you're nothing. They love that you're on Amazon every five seconds buying stuff and they're treating those Amazon people like animals, not letting them sit down. And I don't care if it's a blown up story. Let them fucking sit down. And if they get lazy, tell them to fucking stand up. Do talk. Like, it's so, we're all so victim-y. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I let them sit down, they sit down for four hours. Well, tell them to fucking stop it. Do your job. Like, if you're going to be the boss. Like, oh. So instead, we're going to treat people like animals because we're afraid that they are going to, they are going to probably lay around. They probably are. You're the boss. You're the one that made it to be the boss. That's why you get the benefits of being the boss because you weren't lazy and you went further. So tell them to stand up. Be a boss. Like, that's how this whole country was set up. That's what capitalism is supposed to be. You get the benefits of being the boss. You get to, you don't get to just take everybody's money and humanity and just do whatever you want. But the world, what's happening? Richard Branson just lost his house. Rupert Murdoch's house just went on fire. I'm like, that does not fall lightly on me. I'm like, what's going on? These guys had, oh, and then boom, one fell swoop, gone. You can't take it with you. We have so much power. 
And I mean power to be peaceful. I mean power to enact great change. I mean power to be awesome and messy. Because that's this whole balance of power with the women and the men. The men are so... The power is so crazy. Like keep, everybody keeps asking me, why do I think it's happening? I'm like, because they have so much power. They think they can do it. It's almost like it's it's like putting a rat in a thing and, and, and dictating their behavior. That's what they're doing with the guys. They're giving them so much power. It's almost like their, their humanity can't handle it. So they're going to do this weird to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And then the women, because we're put in such a position where we don't make an equal money, we become complicit and start helping the men and hurting the women. And it's because of the imbalance of power that, 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 that that's happening. Because look at the girl who used to walk the girls from Fahavi. How does a woman walk those women to know that he's going to rape them? How does a woman re- reconcile that inside of herself? Well, I'll lose my job. He had so much power. How does a woman walk other women to go get raped by their boss? Like what? You have to justify that so much in your head that... Because I guarantee you, I don't think you could ask anybody and they'd be like, yeah, I'd be good with that. It's good. I'm good. That's why that's, this keeps happening. Everybody gets, keeps getting busted. And they're like, and this whole idea of like, it's not real. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. Yeah, it was you. Yeah, it was you. You're body autonomous. You're in charge of what happens with your body. Yeah, it was you. That's why people who do bad things go to jail. The judge doesn't say, oh, I know you were a good person inside. That's okay. But even then we can get into the whole jail thing about like time served and everything. It's this whole victim don't, nobody wants to take the blame. Nobody wants to be the boss. Nobody wants to make a decision. Nobody wants to be wrong. Nobody wants to get it because we're, and then we're, cause we're all attacking everybody. And it's like, I understand we need a little three steps in between. We need a little bit of like, breathe that air. Just a little bit of considering other people. Like sometimes when I talk to people and they're being jerks, they're being jerks. They're not jerks. I don't call people names. Sometimes their behavior is being jerky. And like five Times later, after I've talked to them, I'm like, they really did not hear what I was saying. They weren't intentionally being, I'm like, they really weren't hearing what I was saying. And I might not be able to change their mind, but I'm not going to stop being me. And that's the difference between intent. If I'm trying to change them, that's not pure intent. If I'm just trying to make sure that I hold on to myself, consider them, maybe they haven't heard me. Breathe, sit down, don't take the low level, do all this, these steps in between. It's going to make me happier. <laughs> Which inevitably, right. God. Right. Yeah, you realize, yeah, you okay, realize, okay I, guess, I guess they're doing the best they can. I'm going to do, do the best I can. Yes, and also call forth the higher self. What happens if you call forth your higher self? It's going to inevitably call forth your higher self. If I say, Walker, don't talk to me like that. You might get embarrassed. You might get nervous. You might get mad at me. But then eventually you want, and I have to allow you to do that. That's what I mean by not controlling other people's re- response to what I, I would love it if you just said, oh, I would love it if you just said, so you're right. I shouldn't talk to you like that. You're awesome. It's never going to happen. Mommy's gone. There's no mommy that was even ever there to begin with like that. I just have a mommy who had mommy who have a whole bunch of baggage that she brought along with her too. So that's never going to happen. So this considering others, like allowing you to be mad and holding myself, like holding myself so much and, and knowing in my body that I am right. And that, that idea of the clothes, like think how many people have so much stuff in their closet right now that they wish they could get rid of. I sold everything from my storage unit. I sold all my clothes. I sold my Cartier watch. I sold my diamond bracelet. I sold everything. I was like, I don't want to have any of these attachments. I, if I re, you know, have a rebirth, they were all from a Costello. They were all stuff that I had and I, and I would rather eat. And I'd rather be able to take risks with my career. Like I told you guys, I don't have a lot of money right now. And I didn't want to sell out to the network that was tr- that was like pushing me. I was like, I'll sell my stuff. I sold everything in my storage unit. 
I don't really, I have like five things now. And uh, I remember selling it to the store and the girl who worked in the store said to me, how, how, how are you doing this? She was like, I have to sell my stuff. And I'm like, here I am in a store that you can sell your stuff at. And she's saying this to me and she's like, is there anything that you won't sell? I said, no. She goes, you're free. And I was like, oh, people are seeing it. They're seeing that I don't have this. But I saw it. I was, and I, and it took me, it was, it wasn't easy. I was like, what? I had the storage unit that I didn't realize what a pull it was on my body. I never even really went there. And I'm like, oh, that's how the storage people get you too. They're like, you put it in there, you never go back there again. They know the sheep are sleeping. <laughs> They're sleeping. Now they're buying more clothes and they're keeping it in the thing. It's like, you know, I, it's not making us happy. That's the only thing I can say. It's not a judgment. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, even if there's four people out there that are like, you know what, Sue, I've been wanting to throw that thing away forever and I've been scared to, and I'm going to just do it right now. And I'm afraid what it's going to feel like when I do it. I feel like I'm going to feel empty. Yeah. See what I mean? It's like being in reality, not saying, oh, no, you won't, you won't. Yeah, you are. You're going to feel empty. You're probably going to cry. It's going to be some loss because we attach ourselves to things like they're people and it's not. But then you're going to leave room for growth, for more people, for more love. It's a it's a self-love thing to get rid of stuff that's smothering you. It has to be a baby step, and that's the end of the play. Put one foot in front of the other, and soon you'll be walking across the floor. You put one foot in front of the other, and soon you'll be walking out the door. Can you imagine that compassion for somebody. It's like what teaching a little baby how to walk. Like easy does it. It's okay. It's all right. And not indulging them so much that it turns perverted. That's what has happening with the guys. Indulging it too far and it becomes perverted. Keep those boundaries, everybody. Keep those boundaries. Somebody's talking to you in a way they don't want to talk. You to talk to them. Say, please don't talk to me that way. And you can say, can I give you a hug? It's pretty simple. Can I give you a hug? Please don't talk to me that way. I would like shrimp. <laughs> I don't like that. I can't do that today. You're the movie star. You pay the fucking bill. No, you pay the bill. I am the movie star, and you pay the bill. I got to keep my dollars. Because my movie star sold all her stuff. You know what I mean? It's like they just project onto you. It's like whatever. And I don't. Stars, it stars fade. Stars fade. But also, I don't. Yeah, I don't want to have. I don't know if stars fade. I don't know if I agree with you with no. that. Not if you keep. Not with the energy I have inside of me. I'm like, because I. How is it ever going to fade? Well, you're talking. Well, about you're talking about the inner star. Yeah. I'm talking about the outer star. I'm talking about the celebrity anything star. That's placed that outside. That shit fades. Any, well, if you put your energy on anything outside of you. The outside's going to have control over it. But if you put your power on the inside of you and you go, ah, the only way I'm going to go is I'm going to keep growing because if I'm not growing, I'm going to die. And I'm not dying yet until my body literally gives out to die. I'm going to be like, hi, I'm still growing. I'm going to still stand on my head. I'm going to still do my yoga. I'm going to still keep talking. I'm going to still create my... And you know what? Whatever's at stake. I'm not going to have anything at stake. You know what's funny? At stake. Okay, so I'm going to close with this. At stake, right? That's what somebody was saying to me, like, would you have something at stake with the podcast? I'm like, I don't even want to have something at stake. I just want to keep talking. That's all I want to do. And uh, I was thinking that manager, the three, that $30,000. So I got the movie Pushing Tin. And I remember I went into audition. It was supposed to be a bodybuilder. 
And I was like, I'm not a bodybuilder. I'm like, look like a string bean. So I had a t-shirt on that said cranky on it. And I went in and I was totally fucking around. I was flexing my muscles like a bodybuilder. And I did the whole audition like, oh, oh. I was totally fucking around. Also because Billy Bob Thornton and John Cusack were cast in the movie. And I was like, no way I'm going to get a movie with these guys. So I just totally went in. And fu- well, I get a call that uh, Mike Newell wants to fly me to Toronto and he wants me to audition for him. So now the, you want to talk about the stakes. So the stakes got higher and I flew to Toronto. And the whole idea was that if my pilot was shooting during the time the movie was shooting, that I wasn't going to be able to do the movie. And I was very aware of that. I went up. God, he was so like, ama- we had so much fun. He was directing me and I was kind of egotistical. And then he shot down my ego and then I laughed and I got what he was doing and he was smarter than me. And then I was smarter than him. And then he was like, oh, Nora Ephron gave you an F. I go, what is that? She goes, and he goes, she, that's how she auditions people. She gives you an NF or an F, meaning not funny or funny. And I was like, oh, that, that's a compliment. Because she did stop me in the middle of my audition and tell me, Miss Costello, you're a very talented actress. And I didn't know what that meant. And so when he said that, it gave me a little bit of like, oh, okay. And so then I went back to LA and I remember I walked into my manager's office and it was like somebody had died. And I remember I, he said, so you can't do the movie. It coincides with, oh, I'm sorry, I got the movie. I forgot that part. I got the movie. So now I'm freaking out. I'm going to be in a big movie with Angelina Jolie, Kate Blanchett, Mike, Mike, uh, Mike Null directing, Billy Bob Thornton and John Cusack. And so I go into the office and he's like, you can't do the movie. And I'm like, why? He's like, because uh, it coincides, you know, it conflicts with the Costello pilot. And I go, so what happens now? He goes, nothing. They'll just move on because you're not a name. And I remember being like, okay. And he's like, let's go get a steak at Dantana's. And I went and got a steak at Dantana's. And then that Monday, I was on the set of Costello and, and he called me and he's like, Sue, Mike Null just called. He said, he'll rearrange the whole movie. He wants you in the movie. Now that didn't add up with what he told me. He said they would just move on. Now Mike Newell's saying he's moving all these movie stars schedules. He's going to put me in the movie. And the executive producer on my show never called back Mike Newell to arrange it. He just wouldn't call him back. And I always tell my friends that steak cost me $30,000 because I paid that manager $30,000 in two weeks. And he didn't even fight for me to get in the movie that I should have been in. It's very hard to swallow, but guess what? It's never going to happen again. So nothing's going to be at stake for me, people. Nothing's going to be at stake for me. I will eat a bagel. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. That's what they don't understand. I'm like, I already went there. It's not happening. It's not happening. What I want to do is get to the people, talk to the people, make them feel a little lighter if they're open to it. If they're not, keep it moving. I'm not going to bother you. But listen, if there's people out there that want to feel a little lighter... And feel like they can be messy and not have to hate themselves to the end of the earth. This is the podcast for you. Get your friends. Tell a few friends. Put some dollars in the PayPal. So I can keep eating my bagels. <laughs> but, no steak. but no steak. I'll have steak every once in a while if you put a little extra in the PayPal. That would be funny. If I put if somebody put something in the PayPal and I put a picture of me having steak and be like, you guys, this is proper, legit, straight up. That money went right into the steak and I'm eating it. There's no shady business because <laughs> we did eat steak. All right, I'm going to tell one more story. I know we're over, but I'm going to tell one more story. It's growing up, the reason why it was easy to sell me out for a steak is because growing up, me and my brother used to have to scream across the street down my mother cross us. And we would like, ma, ma, ma. And she'd be blow drying a hair vacuum. And she was like, she could 
go out forever for not having us come in the house. Mrs. Federkowitz used to come out of the house and be like, God damn, sons of bitch and kids, we got to crash across the street. We'd be like, ma. And she would yell from the second floor porch. We'd be like, what are we having for dinner? And she'd go, steak. And it would echo through the whole neighborhood. Steak, steak, steak. And we would freak out because we never had steak because we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And we'd get to the top of the stairs and she'd be standing over the stove and she'd have American chop suey on the stove, which is hamburger, elbow macaroni, and stewed tomatoes. And we'd be like, Ma, I thought you said we were having steak. She'd go, that's what I wanted the neighbors to think. <laughs> so I have this weakness about steak. So listen, if you throw some money in the PayPal and you want me to have a steak, put it in the, in the, in the comments or whatever. I'll take a picture and send it to you and say thank you, whoever sent it to me. <laughs> That'll be funny. I'll shout you out. All right. That's it, everybody. 